that up there. There we go. Let's, uh, let's go to the study tonight. We're looking at the weapons of our warfare. We have studied um, and looked at the cosmology of the universe, both visible and invisible. What I mean by that is the makeup of all the created beings. We saw that there are angels, and there are a third of those angels rebelled against God and became the fallen angels. We see that there is ranking of those angels around the globe and around the earth. And we recognize that and did that study through Daniel. And uh, we also see that something dramatically happened in Genesis chapter 6, which created a realm of being in the earth called demons that moved throughout the earth as well. We studied on different weeks their operations. We saw that the fallen angels around the earth are establishing precepts and ideologies into the airways of man, and most of the activities on the earth are allowed by people who follow these ideologies, communism, fascism, right? Uh, Evolution, all this thought, all these ideas brought on uh, actually move the power of the enemy in the earth. Second other thing we've seen is last week, well, two weeks ago, we looked at demons. We looked at how they are moving and operating and that their desire is to frustrate the work of God in the earth and dominating unbelievers and also oppressing believers, trying to keep them stuck, stagnated, and oppressed to hinder the work that God is doing in their lives. So we've looked at that. So now let's get back to looking at what's on our side, right? Every now and then we got to get refreshed uh, with what God has given us in this warfare and in this fight. And so our text tonight is Ephesians chapter 6. And I'm going to take you verse by verse from 10 to 18. All right? And we'll take a close-up look at how God has equipped us to fight this fight. We're fighting against demons and principalities in the heavenlies because Christ has disarmed them at the cross. Let's remember that right off the bat. Colossians 2 says that they were disarmed at the cross, defeated. Yet how is it that they can still operate? Well, we have a world full of fallen people who allow them, give them permission, and in some cases invite them to to continue to wreak havoc. So we are trying to claim souls. We're trying to win them. Could you shut the doors in the back, please? So let's look at Ephesians 6.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Let's just break that apart really quick here. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Two very important admonitions. Be strong in the Lord. All right, Your faith should be strong in God. You've got to recognize you're in this fight. If you took Jesus as your Savior, you're in the fight. Okay? You're in it. Whether you like it or not, you're in a battle. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you just entered into a spiritual fight and battle. Okay? So you need to be strong in the Lord. Can you be weak in the Lord? Sure can. Yes, you can. You can be weak in the Lord. And he's not recommending that, okay? (laughs) 
Because as Peter would say, you need to be alert because your enemy is prowling like a roaring lion seeking who he may, who he may devour. Okay? And so we know that there are fleshly Christians, weak Christians, right? Paul wrote to a whole church that in Corinthians he said that these were spirit-filled people, Pentecostal, Holy Ghost, tongue-talking people. And he said that they were carnal. How about that? You mean just because I speak in tongues doesn't mean I'm spiritual? You can be carnally minded and still have different giftings and God can use you in different ways, but you can be carnally minded, weak. And Paul wrote an epistle to a church in that situation, okay? So he says, be strong in the Lord. So we've got to be strong in the Lord. We need to be strong in his gifts. We need to be strong in the knowledge of God and strong in our understanding of who we are in Christ. And then he goes on and he says, and in the strength of his dunamos, in the strength of his might, in the strength of his power. Do you remember Sunday, uh, I spoke to you out of Ephesians chapter 1. And in verse 17, Paul was praying for the church that they would have a revelation and wisdom to the power that God was giving his people, that he was backing us up with his authority and power. So we not only need to have a knowledge of who we are in Christ, we need to have a knowledge of the power of God that's been given unto us. Amen? Okay? And so we need to move in that. It's, it's more than being status quo in our life. It's more than getting by. It's advancing. God wants His people to advance in levels of maturity and faith. So we need to do that when we're entering into warfare. And he says, put on the whole armor of God. Why do you think he'd say the whole armor? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Don't just put the shoes on. Let's get the whole outfit going here. All right? Why? Here's the reason why. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. There are schemes. Schemes. What does that sound like, schemes to you? Give me an illustration of what a scheme would be. Plans. Okay? What's that? Conspiracies. Make you believe a lie. Distractions. Okay, these schemes are, are going to be Plans to get you in a trap, wouldn't you say? Right? All these different things that you've been implying, lies and so forth. Well, to get, it's, it's how many of you saw, um, what's the movie with Robert Redford and Paul Newman, right? The Sting, The Sting, right? Was there a scheme there? Oh, very elaborate scheming. Anybody see this movie? It's an old one, okay, right? I, I like movies that have twists and that you're going, oh, I never saw that coming. Well, the enemy does that awful lot. He's got schemes. Now, Paul tells us that we are not unaware of his schemes. We know what he does and how he operates. So if we do, how come we keep getting tripped up by his schemes? We're not being alert. That's the whole thing. Not being alert. Okay? You ever cross the street and almost get hit by a car? Gee, I didn't see that coming. Not alert. <laughs> especially if you're in a European country and they're driving on the wrong side of the road. You're looking the completely wrong way. All right, sorry. 
So put on the whole armor of God. Let's really take a quick look at what is the armor of God. I'm just going to give it to you really simply. You know what the armor of God is? Jesus. Being in Christ is the armor of God. Being aware of that. Let me prove it to you. Romans 13, 14 says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. We're to put on Christ and walk in Christ. That's our full protection, to be in Christ. Let me show you Isaiah 59, verse 16 and 17. He, God the Father, saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Who's that talking about? Jesus. He's the arm of God. Throughout Isaiah, as you would look, God is looking to and fro for an intercessor and can find no man. In other portions of Isaiah, he says, he therefore made bare his right arm. In the East, in biblical times, the right arm is the saving arm of God. It's the salvation, it's the deliverance, it's the help. So God said He made bare His arm, which is the Word of God become flesh, or Christ, Jesus. By the way, where did Jesus ascend to? The right hand of the Father. He's the saving arm of Father. Okay? So God made bare His right arm. And His right arm put on the helmet of salvation. His right arm, which is Jesus, put on the breastplate of righteousness and the cloak of vengeance and so forth and zeal. Right? So He's describing the armor of God. So what do you think Paul was thinking about when he wrote about the armor of God in Ephesians 6? Isaiah 59. The armor that we wear is Christ's armor and in fact, being in Christ Jesus. Because He is our salvation. He is our righteousness. Our faith is in Him. The gospel of peace is the message of Jesus. Do you see this, folks? It's just Jesus. Now sometimes we get into these discussions about the armor of God and and people think that it's something extra special. That in the morning you need to put on the armor of God. When you get up, there it is. There's the helmet. It's by your Put on the helmet of God. Now sometimes you do that as an analogy to help you get refreshed and know, you know what, i got to get my brain right on Jesus and just reconsider things. So that's okay to do that. But just don't think that literally there's some armor over here that you've got to put on. Okay? Like, let's go to an armor anointing service. Okay, if you're in Christ, that armor is there and available. Now, you can be ignorant of it. How about that? Right? You can have this armor and this protection and never even understand it or use it. Now, that's a problem. But ultimately, this armor of God is completely found in Christ, and it was the armor He wears. And He's causing us to stand in it. Now, let's go further. Why do we need this armor? Verse 12, For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this 
present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So he, he lists the different rankings of authorities of demonic forces in the second heavens and on the earth. These are powerful beings, powerful forces. All right, When they were covering cherubim, when they were in the, in the realm of being the sons of God, those angels, they're very powerful forces. All right, Let's never underestimate the power of our enemy. You've got to understand that. Very powerful forces. That even when the disciples were so excited because they had been given authority to go into the villages and cast out demons and, and heal sicknesses, they were really excited and things were going great. And then they came to one particular situation that they could not cast out the demon. And Jesus says, this one can only be cast out through prayer and fasting. There was a level of authority that the disciples, even being in the presence of Jesus, didn't exercise yet. Do you see what I'm saying? All right. So there are times where, brothers and sisters, we have got to press in further than you've ever gone before, considering what you are doing battle against. Even the angel in Daniel 9, when he was coming, he was sent as the messenger to bring the message to Daniel. He was caught in a fight over Persia. He had to call for Michael, the archangel, to come. Michael, come, I come and help you. He needed someone who was big. Because there was a principality that this angel couldn't get past. All right? Are there strong people? All right? Some stronger than others? Wouldn't you think that's the same in the spirit realm? Okay? So this isn't... Uh, some of the spirits are called Leviathan. Some are called Behemoth. Right? Some are called Jezebel. Was Elijah afraid of Jezebel? Okay, Jezebel's a powerful spirit. Leviathan, God tells us in the book of Isaiah 27, he says, don't even try. Don't even try to fight her. In Job, at the last chapter of Job, he says, who do you think you are? You think you can come against that spirit of Leviathan? You think you can tame it like a pet? You think you can take a spear and kill it? Are you kidding me? And in Isaiah 27, he says, the Lord will slay Leviathan. Right? So there are times when you have to understand the powers and authorities you're coming against. And sometimes, as Jude says, you need to say, the Lord rebuke thee. Okay? And so we need to understand we're in a war here against powers, rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And they can really wreak havoc. Anybody ever see films of Nazi Germany? Do you ever see when Hitler's uh, speaking to a crowd and there's tens of thousands of people mesmerized by the spirit of this guy? That's scary powerful. Would you not agree? All right, let's, let's, so let's understand that. We need to understand the weapons of our warfare against spiritual forces of evil. In heavenly realms. So he goes on and he says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Again, the whole armor of God. That means study to the fullest. Understand and know. Present yourself 
to Christ so that you are fully immersed and in the realm of His authority. All right? Because you're going to get beat up if you aren't. If your Christianity is a Sunday adventure, then you're, you're just getting beat up. We've got to make this a day-to-day activity in God's armor. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. All right? Now let me just share a few minutes on what it means to stand. I like that. Uh, Bill Farina, pastor of Bethel Christian Church, always reminds me of this. When he, when he says, you know, there are some times when you may not advance, you may not do anything, but yet at least you're still standing. Sometimes it's good enough to just stand. Don't lose ground, but stand. I find it very interesting in Scripture that whenever you come up against temptation of the flesh, what does the Bible say? Does anybody know? Flee. Flee. Run! Get out of there! Go! Okay? Because we know the power of our own flesh and temptation. Flee temptation. But when Scripture says you're in a fight with the devil, it says stand. Don't flee. Stand. Don't lose ground. I find that interesting. We're our own worst problem, not the devil. Our flesh is our biggest issue. So when you get tempted and your flesh is all enticed, man, get out of the rut of that thing. Flee. Get up. Change it. Do something. But if it's a spiritual warfare, if it's the enemy, do all to stand. And how do we stand? Again, we go back to what this is all about. We stand in Christ. On the name of Jesus. I would like you... uh, Michael Harper has a nice little book. Uh, It's it's an older book on spiritual warfare. And um, he had this list, and I was just very impressed with it. Let me share this list of Scripture with you on your outline to see that everything we do is in Christ's name. Sometimes we use that as a slogan. We put it at the end of our prayers. We say it in Jesus' name, amen, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And a lot of times we don't understand the power of it. It is true that it's all in Jesus' name. Look at this, John 17, 11. Holy Father, keep them through your name, those you have given me. That word keep means protect them, that they may be one as we are one. Protect them by your name. Okay? And the name of Jesus is Jehovah's salvation. That's what Yahshua means. Jesus' name is Jehovah's salvation. Yahashua. Okay? So keep them through the power of your name. Salvation, Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else. There's no other what? Name under heaven given among men which they may be saved. Justification. Some of you were, and he lists the whole list of sins that people were involved in, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the what? Name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. So sanctification and justification, the washing and cleansing of sins, is in the name of Jesus. The baptism of the Holy Spirit? We'll get into that later, okay? Now, are you talking about being baptized in Jesus' name? This verse is not talking about baptism. It's a cleansing of our sins 
by faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Okay. Healing, Acts 3, 6. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Preaching, Acts 8, 12. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Deliverance, Acts 16, 18. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul became greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. Judgment, 1 Corinthians 5, 3, 4. I've already pronounced judgment in the name of the Lord Jesus on the man who has done such things. Worship, Ephesians 5.20, always and for everything give thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Prayer, John 14.13, whatever you ask in my name, I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. The Holy Spirit, John 14.26, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things. Finally, persecution, they left Uh, the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Everything is in honor to the name of Jesus Christ. Everything we do, act, say, and are involved in is to the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. It is our full authority. It is our full armor. It is everything we operate in. The minute you think it's your ability, it's your power, it's your expertise, it's your knowledge, you're stepping into dangerous territory. It's always unto the name of Jesus Christ. Everything we do and say and believe is to glorify the name. For it's a name that has been put above every name, all names. That name is always in our lives. Everything we do is to extol the virtues of that name, Jesus, to the glory of the Father. It gives glory to the Father to exalt the name of Jesus because as you're exalting the name of Jesus, you're exalting the love and salvation of God the Father because He sent Christ. And so it gives honor. So anything in spiritual warfare, brothers and sisters, that you are coming against, if you are praying against the spirit of abortion over America, if you're praying against the perverse spirits that are over this land, if you're praying for your local high school, if you're praying to uh, pray for the psychic reading store next to your business to, to be gone, whatever you're praying, we do it in the name of Jesus Christ. That's how we take our stand. Having done all, I still stand on the name of Jesus. I don't understand what God's doing in this thing. I'm not getting an answer from prayer. I don't know exactly what's going on, but I'm going to stand on the name of Jesus. Sometimes we don't have to know. Amen. I like that clapping. That's good. Right? Amen. Because we can only stand on Christ and Christ alone. So I want you to understand this as we're getting into the power of warfare. Our whole armor is Christ and Christ alone. Now, let's dissect each piece of the armor as Paul wants us to in these following verses so that we can really begin to see the multifaceted protection the name of Christ does give us. Does that make sense? All right, let's go on. So, 
Let's take a look at the armor of God and let's look at, first of all, the defensive armor. There's armor that protects us. Thank God for that. All right? So the first thing he does is say, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. All right. So many commentators believe that Paul is making reference to this Roman armor that they're wearing is because Paul's probably chained to a Roman centurion. Okay? He was under lock and key. He was put in prison for preaching the gospel. And uh, so he was typically under house arrest, and there was a Roman soldier there guarding him. So he's meditating on God. He's looking at the Lord. He sees this guy's armor. He's probably remembering Isaiah 59 that I had shared with you, that God gives us armor. And he says that we're to gird our loins with the belt of truth. So let's understand what this belt of truth would do. Uh, What good is truth? What does truth do? Sets you free. Good. Why? What does it mean, sets me free? How? Keeps your mind clean? How? Lies. Lies. And deception. Which leads to salvation because we were blind by the God of this age. Remember that? Until the light of the glorious gospel. Truth. Okay, so truth breaks lies, doesn't it? And so the belt of truth is put around us and it we're gird our loins, we're protected, our private parts are protected so that we have truth and we will not allow lies to come forth. Okay? Now, truth is really an essential part in dealing with an enemy that only lies. It's a great defense. The more you understand the truth of God's Word, the less you'll be deceived. You know how bankers study counterfeit bills? They study the real bill. Yeah. Because if you try to study all the counterfeits, there's new ones every day. You can never keep up. Exactly. So you have to know the authentic, true one. So you study the real thing so that the truth will expose any lie. So we have to gird our loins. We have to protect our productivity, our life center, who we are at our core with truth. Uh, And working with demonic forces and demonic powers, you have to understand that they're going to throw lies at you. There's deception and lies. There's schemes, okay? How in the world did he get the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to stop believing in the virgin birth? Do you know the percentage of Christians who no longer believe in the virgin birth? The percentage of people who call themselves Christian no longer believe in creation? The number of Christians who no longer believe it's necessary for Christ to have been resurrected? The percentages are crazy. Barna did a, a, a report just about six or seven years ago. And we're up into the 40-50% of Christians who no longer believe those things. It's, it, it's very questionable as to 
whether they're Christians that I have to ask that question. Because if that's the case, do you no longer believe the Word of God is true and inspired? So uh, that's a tough call there. But why? Their loins weren't gird, girt, I don't know how to say it, with the truth. How do you say it? What do you say? Girt? Girded. Girded. I have girth. I need girded. Okay. <laughs> I got the girth part down. <laughs> girth your loins. I'm good. <laughs> With truth. Uh, <laughs> all right. Now, I find it interesting, too, that it also protects the reproductive organs and and why i think that's important is because your fruitfulness with the gospel paul said i'm not ashamed of the gospel of christ for it is the power of god unto salvation and the 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 way people come to christ is hearing the word of truth and we are to carry that word of truth wherever we go that more people may be born again so we need the belt of truth You've got to have the belt of truth. Working um, with those who are being demonized, most of the time, the core issues of people who are being demonized have false ideas about God. They've believed a lie about God. Many people, the, 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 many of the root issues is, is that they have a, an issue with God and who his character is. They can't trust him. They don't believe. They, they've been wounded. They, they want salvation. They know him, but they still have this disconnect because they believe he's punishing them or he wasn't there for them and they're wounded by him. And there's a lie in understanding who God is or God is a demanding taskmaster. They haven't done enough to prove themselves. Those are all lies and they're not girding with the belt of truth. Okay? And so they're not protecting who they are in Christ's. So we have to help them get set free. Let's go on. He goes on and says, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the truth was given to us by God's Spirit, right? He will lead you into all truth. This isn't something we figured out. This is something He has brought us into. It's the same with the righteousness. The righteousness that is our breastplate is not our righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness. And it is a free gift. I said gift. Half of you are still trying to earn it. I'm not righteous enough. I'm trying to get it. I want to be good at it. But if you'll look at Romans chapter 7, you will see that it is the gift of righteousness that is given unto us by grace. It is immediate. The righteousness of Christ is imputed or credited to us. I am now the righteousness of Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for me so that we might be the righteousness of God. We're immediately counted as righteous. Now get this, as righteous as Jesus is. Because it's His righteousness given to us. Now, I'm even going to go further. It's not God looking at us and Jesus is in front of us going, don't look at them, Jesus. They're a mess. They're all sinful. But I'm, you got to go through me to get to them. It's imputed. It's credited. It's given. 
Abraham was counted righteous because he believed. Credited, imputed. When you have accepted Jesus Christ, his right standing, that's what righteousness is, his right standing with the Father is given to us as a gift. Just as when you were born in the flesh, you were born with a fallen nature. You didn't work at it. You're one day old. You're an hour old and you're fallen. The minute you receive Christ, you are given a new birthright, righteousness. That's awesome. That's our breastplate of righteousness. Now, you can't forget that. The devil wants you to forget it. The devil wants you to think you earned it so that he can get you to doubt whether you're good enough. He will attack your righteousness. So, girding your loins with the truth, you say, it's not my righteousness, it's Christ's righteousness that I stand here opposing you, devil. And I'm forgiven for Christ's sake. That's your strength. That's your armor. He can't penetrate that. Because he can't penetrate the power of Christ. Alright? And it's given to you. Now, do we therefore have a responsibility to live a righteous life. Why? He gave us His. I don't need to. I can do whatever I want. No. No. You have to live unto that being that He has now made you. He has given you righteousness. Now I am the righteousness of God. That righteousness has to work its way through me completely. Because this isn't the righteousness that gets you saved. But there is a progressive righteousness in our lives that we are living out to grow stronger and stronger in the position that we have been given. Does that make sense to you? Because there's a verse in James that I find very appealing and very interesting. The, fervent, the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man does what? Availeth much. Hmm, that's interesting. I'm righteous because Christ made me righteous. But this verse says there is, a, there is a, a strength to someone who walks in the righteousness they've been given that causes a greater authority in prayer. Do you remember earlier I told you as Jesus said, this kind, this demon, only comes through prayer and fasting. See, there are times when we're fighting a warfare against the devil, the demonic, principalities, whatever, that we need to be able to walk in purity and a right standing with God. Now, you are the righteousness of God. It's imputed. It's been given to you. But you may have been doing things, thinking things, or failing in realms of your flesh. And when you come in a warfare against the enemy, you're going to feel weak. Because you're going to have doubt. You're going to feel a little unclean. You're going to feel like, I'm not living up the way I should. Not saying God doesn't love you any less or this or that, but the enemy's going to play on that. Any insecurity. Right? Let me put it to you this way. I tell my son to take out the trash. When I get home, the trash isn't taken out. I can't find my son. He sees the car pull up. Now, this didn't happen. I'm just using this as an example. My kids love this when people after a sermon go, oh, I heard about you. It's like, I, I'm just, I made this up, okay? <laughs> Leave them alone. <laughs> but 
you've noticed this with kids, right? And, and uh, if they didn't do what they knew they should have done, ah, there's a little uh, insecurity here. We're not feeling the love and we're not feeling... Are you disconnected with them? No, but they have, all right? A little bit of shame there, this and that. Well, if we're not living up to our righteousness that is ours, we can feel that sometimes. There are times when I'm down on myself, I have failed the Lord in my heart, in my thinking, in my mind. I, I, I want to get right with God if I'm, before I'm going to preach. I, I want to move into prayer. I want to move into repentance. Father, cleanse me, forgive me. This, I want to be effective, right? So do you understand what I'm saying? So we do have a breastplate of righteousness, but I want you to know that you'll be more effective. How many of you heard this term, when you're prayed up? It's a Christian term, prayed up. What's that like? Like there's a level, like a little thing here. Top me off. I'm prayed up. But there's a, there's a reality to it. There is a reality to it. It's, it's a sense of confidence. And can I tell you, when you're in spiritual warfare, confidence is key. It really is. Because the enemy has schemes. And if he begins to throw darts or work towards you in an area and found, finds an insecurity, okay, here we go. It's no different than a boxing match. Right? All right? If you're in a boxing match, you've seen Rocky 13. <laughs> right? 1 through 13. Right? They find, oh, his broken ribs. Now hit him in the ribs. He's fighting not southpaw, but right paw. I don't know what that is. And he's fighting till he switches halfway through so that he can get the weakness on the guy. Right? Rope-a-dope. Muhammad Ali. How many of you remember rope-a-dope? Right? Let him keep hitting you, hitting you, hitting you, hitting you till he gets so tired. Joe Frazier got so tired after the rope-a-dope thing. Is anybody with me on this one? Okay. That was his thing. He just took the beating, took the beating till he became so weak and the enemy reads our fight that way he waits for you to break down till you get weak and you realize oh no it's not me but with the belt of truth you say no the word of god i'm going to stand it in the name of jesus i'm going to stand it his righteousness in me father forgive me i'm secure okay i'm good you see what i'm saying this is a real fight this isn't pretend this isn't Christian make-believe. There's a fight going on. And He will wait for you to get weak in an area. So we need to understand. Christ is our righteousness, but we have a responsibility to protect our lives and our testimony so that we can fight well. Let's go on verse 16. Now this is interesting. He says this. In all circumstances, King James or other versions say, above all, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, he puts an emphasis on this. Above all. Above all, the armor. So, would you, would you say this would be an essential component? And what is it? Faith. Let me ask you this. How do all the gifts or caresses of God Spiritual gifts. How do all of those operate? By faith. Let he who prophesies, prophesies in proportion to his 
faith. He who teaches. And he goes right on through different giftings and abilities. It's all by faith. Everything we do in the New Testament is by what? Faith. So above all, stand in your faith. The enemy wants to go after those who have a weakness in their faith. You've got to stand firm in your faith. It is your shield. Now let me ask you this. What do you think fiery darts are? Yeah. All right, now, uh, in the Greek, the word for darts is missiles. Missiles, arrows, flaming arrows. Okay, why would they be flaming? What are they trying to do? Yeah, burn, ignite. Okay, so it could be areas of temptation to ignite lusts. It could be areas of of, uh, cutting you down, making you feel weak, less than who you are. Fiery darts are things that are just hurled at you, names that are spoken to you. The enemy knows your weakness and he's just throwing these things at you. Nobody loves you. Nobody thinks you're nice. You are just a loser. I, you know... Those are fiery. That hurts, doesn't it? You have to have faith to block those things. Okay, now the shield he's talking about was a Roman shield, not like this picture. That's a knight, but it was a cool picture, so I used it. (laughs) The Roman shield was almost like a full length. It was really big. You could cover yourself with it. That's how Rome was so fierce in their fighting. Because they had these shields that they had developed and used to where they could stand side by side and this thing would be a wall. And as they would approach a wall, the the guys right behind the front line would put their shields above their heads and you had the first tank. Yeah, it was a covered military group of guys that whether arrows were coming down or at them they were advancing and all the fiery darts of the enemy were not penetrating them that's what the church is supposed to look like okay we've got people in the church shooting fiery darts at each other you got your shield like this and go ow what the guy behind you is going So, we've got to watch this, all right? Again, you have to trust who you are in Christ against the accuser of the brethren. That's what he does. Revelation 12 says that the the devil is the accuser of the brethren. He accuses you day and night. I've been in situations in deliverance ministry and times where I'm fighting against a demonic and the enemy knows where my heart is, and so the enemy starts hurling darts at me saying, I'm going to kill your family. Well, what's most precious to me in my life? My family. So what's he going to throw a dart at? My family. I'm going to come after him. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to do this and that. All right, so you've got to be careful with that scheme. First thing I know is you're a liar. You're a loser. You're a liar. Shut up. You can't. You won't. You have to tell him what he can do because he wants to get in and start a fire in the realm of doubt. What is the opposite of faith? Fear and doubt. Fear is a faith killer. If he can cause you to fear, if he's been defeated at the cross, his real weaponry is fear 
and intimidation. This is what demons do. This is why everybody likes to go to scary demon movies. Because they like to get scared. <laughs> right? You're standing, someone in the background is just floating. You're going, ah! It causes fear and it's scary. Right? And then the head turns around and pukes out pea soup and it's like, ah! That's scary. Well, these, the demonic will do the same thing. They want to create fear. They want to create fear. Because what fear will do is begin to burn a hole in your faith. These are the fiery darts. Fear will cause you to tremble and get afraid and back up or even hesitate for a minute. Doubt. Doubt to just not commit. Have any of you, any of you been there where you just, just that little bit of doubt? You, Come on, jump! <laughs> and you missed it. Right? The enemy is wanting to create fear and doubt in us. And then what happens after we miss it? I'm such a loser. I'm no good. God can't use me anymore. Don't give in to that. Understand who you are in Christ. How many times did he restore Peter and get him back on his game? Right? How do you know if it's the devil or yourself? It's a both. It's always going to be both. Um... Your flesh is always going to have doubt and, and fear. So it could be either the devil or it could be your flesh. What the devil's always going to do is activate your flesh. Okay? So he's going to activate your fear and doubt. Well, now, now here's the thing. Temptation of the flesh isn't... Uh, what I mean by that is temptation to sin for something. But you don't flee your own doubts and fears. Faith overcomes them. You have to speak to yourself. What I, what I believe when, when you have fears of the flesh and doubt of the flesh, I believe in speaking the Word of God to myself. You know, because David did that. Why are you so downcast, O oh my soul? Put your trust in the Lord. Begin to quote the Scriptures. Begin to know. Look, at Paul does this. Can I? He's got a great point. Do you mind if I go off on this? It's important. Romans chapter 7 is a really key verse. Oh, it's a chapter, isn't it? Uh, Romans 7.21, but that whole section. Paul does something really important here, and this is important for all of us. He makes a distinction between who he is in Christ and his flesh. I know that no good thing lives within me, and he qualifies it, that is in my flesh. It is no longer I who sin, but sin living in me. Why does he do this? Why do he, it's, it's almost sometimes you're thinking, this is a little schizophrenic here, Paul. Are you not taking responsibility for your sin? He is. But you can't, remember I told you about boxing? You can't box a guy that's wrapped around you. That's why they do that. They do that for a break. I'm tired. And they hug each other, right? What do you got to do? You got to push the guy off so that you can hit him again. In essence, that's what Paul is doing with his flesh. He's pushing it off so he can say to his flesh that you're wrong. The word of the Lord says this. So inside himself, he's distinguishing who he is in Christ to the power of sin in his flesh. 
And so sometimes we have to do that. If the enemy's coming after us, recognize our own weakness and say, you know what, I'm not going to believe that. I trust. I know the true me in Jesus, and I know that I love the Lord. And right now I might be a little confused, a little worried, but I'm trusting in Jesus. I love the Lord. And you have to speak to yourself. Does that make sense? Good. Good. Okay. All right, let's go on. Um... 17, the helmet of salvation. All right, now, the helmet covers what part of your, your body? Your head. What's in your head? Your mind. your mind, your knowledge, your sensibility, right? That needs to be protected. It needs to have salvation, the understanding of your salvation. And the, un- the understanding of salvation is that you were bought with a price. You're no longer yours. Glorify God in your body. You belong to Him. Always keeping a mind of love, power, and a sound mind. Keeping the Word of God. I have hidden your Word in my heart so I will not sin against you. Alright? You're protecting your head. You're protecting your understanding of salvation. It secures your ability to accomplish what God has called you to. Right? Operate out of the grace that God has given you. You always go back to your salvation. That's why once a month, I don't know why we chose once a month, but we do. We take communion. Why do we take communion? Cleansing, remembrance, and all that. Basically, it's the default button. Push that default button. You ever have this problem on your, com- on your computer? It's acting all goofy and haywire. You just hit that button, let it reboot. It's the reboot button. Because when we take communion, we come back to the place that I was saved by grace. My sins are forgiven as a gift from God. Therefore, if I take this meal, I have to do the same with others. We have to recalibrate what this is all about back again. And the helmet of salvation is protecting your mind to understand the first thing. Your first love. Your essentials in everything. Remember what's going on here. When you're fighting the devil, you can get so into fighting the devil, you're forgetting to love God. I've known folks like this. They become such, uh, so enamored by the devil and so into his tactics that they forget the first love, the rudiments of why we're here and what power we have. It's Christ and Christ alone. Yeah, that's why the church needs to grow stronger in its knowledge of what is ours in Christ. Yeah, all right? All right, so the helmet of salvation. How how can I work and fight in spiritual warfare against an enemy if I have bitterness and unforgiveness against someone else? This is violating the very knowledge of salvation. Does that make sense to you? All right, you've got to, again, protect the rudiment key issue. It's about our salvation as a gift from God. Look at what Peter says. I find this interesting, 2 Peter 1, 5 through 10. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. I don't like that word. Uh, another uh, add to, NIV says, add to your faith. King James says, increase and add to your faith. All right, supplement sounds like vitamin uh, something make every effort to add to your faith virtue 
Virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly love or affection, brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there should be an ever-increasing growth in our spiritual walk so that we increase in our effectiveness and our ability. It's the helmet of salvation. You keep increasing and growing in your salvation so you are strong. He even goes on and says, for whoever lacks these things is nearsighted and is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Now you're really a target for the enemy. So we have to continue to increase and understand and grow in the Lord. Okay? Now let's take a look at some offensive weapons. I skipped over these because I find the shoes uh, prepared for the gospel of peace as an offensive, an advancing weapon. I never understood this till I began to research this a couple years ago. You know, everything's like this cool warrior stuff. You got a breastplate and you got a belt of truth. And he got a sword and a shield. And then he talks about sandals. It's like, now if they were iron-tipped, that'd be cool. What I didn't realize is what Roman sandals looked like. And if you look at the bottom of these, Roman sandals had cleats on them. The reason they had cleats on them is so that when they were standing in battle, they were not moved. And when they marched over you, it hurt. I'll put you under my feet. It's where the enemy belongs. So they were cleated. So the concept is that I shall not be moved. This is a gospel of peace. It's a gospel of good news. It advances. You're not going to slip on a slippery slope. You can advance and move forward no matter what the ground is like. It grips and it moves and it advances. The gates of hell shall not prevail against His church. Okay? So, the gospel of peace. Let me share with you very quickly what peace is all about. Understanding peace in scripture we are so influenced by the 70s the 60s and 70s okay some of you younger folks are like yeah i saw that on tv but um the 60s and 70s was all about peace man peace love and understanding right and flowers and all this and peace was like oh just empty your mind Mm, become a cleanse cleanse get centered Mm, peace i have no thoughts no worries until like the phone rings or someone's at the door and (laughs) there goes my peace we have this concept of peace that it's just tranquil and there's nothing going on that is or it's the absence of problem that's not peace peace is order biblical peace is shalom and that means order in order to have order You have to have power exerted over something to maintain peace or order, right? See, if you don't have order in your household, do you have peace or chaos? (laughs) Right? If, If you don't put things in their right places, 
everything's out of order. So peace actually is power and authority. And I thank God that Jesus is the prince of peace. Have you ever wondered why it says that when Jesus returns, he'll rule with a rod of iron? That sounds kind of mean. What's it trying to say, rule with a rod of iron? He's got all authority, all power. What he says goes. Don't you wish that someone who was benevolent and good would put everything in order? Everything being fair and just? We live in a world that's out of order. There's such chaos. And it's unjust. It's unfair. We all recognize that. Biblical peace is when there is order because authority has been established to keep things in order and so that we can have decency and an order in our lives. That's what peace is all about. And so the gospel of peace is advancing against a world of chaos. The devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. We're wearing this armor and this gospel of peace not to tread on people. We're here to save people. We're here to tread on serpents. We're here to tread on scorpions, Jesus said. And this gospel of peace is putting all chaos, all death, all disruption, and all evil work of the enemy under our feet so that we can bring peace to people's lives. People are out of control. They're scared. They're they're self-medicating. They're broken because of the chaos and the fear and the doubt. We've got feet shed with the gospel or the good news that we can bring peace to your life. If you will follow the Lord Jesus Christ, love him with all your heart, you're going to find peace like you've never had before. That's what this is about. It's an advancing armor. I love that. Christians are the people who run to problems. We run to danger. Something crazy goes on. There's an accident or there's an explosion or there's something or this or that. Christians should be the first to run to that place. We know where we're going. We want to bring peace to disorder. We want to bring help where it's needed. That's how all these societies got established. The Red Cross was a Christian organization, right? Most of these organizations that are Peace Corps and all these other helpful places, they all started. AAA started. They're all Christian organizations. Salvation Army, they're all Christian organizations. Hospitals were established by Christians. Okay? Adoptions agencies started by Christians. Look at the history of all these beneficial benefactors throughout history. They're started by Christians because we have the gospel of peace in our feet. And we're trying to bring order to a world of chaos and fight against a demonic force that's doing that. Amen? All right, let's go on to the next, verse 17. And the sword of the Spirit. And now he gives us a clue here, which is the Word of God. Now this sword of the Spirit, you can see in this picture, that's about the size of the sword. It's not one of those big long swords like Braveheart, right? I'm on a movie kick tonight. I'm trying to illustrate. Um, but it, it was a Beretta. It was, a, it was about this long because it had a double edge. So you could slice both ways a two-edged sword. It cuts coming and going. Okay? 
the Word of God is as sharp as a two-edged sword, dividing asunder between the bone and the marrow, the flesh and the spirit. It cuts, it divides what is true, what is a lie. We need this. We need the Word of God when we're fighting a liar. You need truth. And it's the sword of the Spirit. Sword of the Spirit. Now, that Word of God is our legal authority and covenant promise in Christ. Okay? So when you have the sword of the Spirit, when you're fighting against, well, as Paul said, ideologies, you take them captive to the Word of God. Okay? Our, our legal authority is the Word of God. So when you pray, you're praying for your children, you're praying for a co-worker, you're praying against the enemy that's wreaking havoc in different things. You pray with the authority of the Word of God. All right? I know you're all excited and you're filled with the Holy Ghost and you can shout, but your authority is what? The Word of God. The Word of God. You're an ambassador for the Lord, but you have to use the legal authority that you have. All right, Police just can't come to your house and say, open up in the name of the law. You got a warrant? Uh, no. Would you let us in? I don't think so. Mm, all right. So they go get a warrant. <laughs> Open up in the name of the law. Who says? I've got this warrant right here from the judge. Okay? The Word of God is our legal authority. And we use it against the enemy. Now, we can command the enemy out, but when the person that they're oppressing has allowed them in, now we've got to use the legal warrant of the Word of God. Does that make sense to you? We've got to use the Word of God. Because you need to fall back on that. Because again, you'll get, you'll get flustered. You'll get confused. You'll run out of words to say, go back to the Word of God. Go back to the Word of God. Now, let me interject something here as well. Um, I thought this was interesting. We'll go on here in verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Um, again, I made reference to Michael Harper, whose book Spiritual Warfare is a really nice little manual. But I read something in there today that I thought, this is interesting. And he talks about, in spiritual warfare, praying in the Holy Spirit. Because the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. When you pray in tongues, you're praying out of the authority of the Spirit. And that becomes a two-edged sword as well. And if you've been involved in deliverances or demonic warfare and in that level of praying, when you pray in the Spirit, that agitates the enemy because you're taking the sword of the Spirit. Now, do you have to pray in tongues to, to work against demons? No, you don't. But it will certainly, certainly advance the, the authority and power because praying in the Spirit is the Holy Spirit's prayers coming through you. Okay? And so if the Holy Spirit's praying through you, the, the, it, He's speaking right to the demonic problem. And they hate that. All right, but praying in the Spirit. Look at this, Deuteronomy 8.3. Let's do a quick lesson on this. This is God talking through Moses to Israel. He humbled you, and He let you hunger, and He fed you with manna, 
which you did not know. Um, That's a play on words. Because the Hebrew word manna is, what is it? Okay? Manna means, what is it? So when you're saying, hand me some manna, you're saying, hand me some what is that? It's a really great Abbott and Costello, you know, who's on first? (laughs) What is that? Yes, it is. No, really, what is that? Yes. Manna is what is it? And that's what he's saying here. He said, He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know. Nor did your fathers know. Why? That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That sounds familiar to me. Does that sound familiar to you? Was there another place where someone was in a desert and had to, was hungry and had to eat? Jesus. Jesus repeated what Israel did in the wilderness. They failed the test. Jesus did not fail. The whole purpose, now this is interesting, Deuteronomy 8.3 is saying this, the whole purpose, God fed manna to Israel is so that they would recognize they're not going to make it just by eating manna. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Okay? Every word. Now, they didn't have written Scripture back then. Every word that God is speaking to them, you must follow those directives. That's how we're going to live. That's how we're going to sustain. That's the same thing Jesus said to the devil. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. We have to live by the word of the Lord. Think of manna every morning. When you get up, say, what is it? What is it, Lord? What is it? What's your manna for today? Your daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Speak to me. The Word of the Spirit, the Word of the Lord is how we fight an enemy. It's how we overcome the devil. You have a Word of the Lord. You stand on it. Now, he then goes on and he says, pray in the Spirit. Now, there's a lot of different ways to pray in the Spirit. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you. So you can pray by the unction of the Holy Spirit with your understanding. Paul says that. Or you can pray without understanding. So what should I do, he asked the question. Well, I'll do both. I'll pray with my understanding and I'll pray without my understanding. In the Spirit. Okay. Here's an example of praying in the Spirit. God help! Okay, that works. If you're motivated by the Holy Spirit to pray like that, that's a very valued prayer. Look at Nehemiah. It's a great story of the man praying in the Spirit. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. He heard the news of Jerusalem being completely dismantled and and the king looks to his cupbearer and sees he's upset. Now, do you know what a cupbearer does? He tastes the wine to make sure it's not poison for the king. So if you're the king and you're looking at your wine tester and he's like got tears in his eyes, going, <laughs> you're like going, I don't know if I want to drink this wine. 
what's wrong, Nehemiah? And it says, Nehemiah prays and answers the king. I find that little verse really important because it's an immediate. He prays and answers the king. How quickly did he pray? See, in the spirit, there's no time to it. You connect spirit to spirit. This thing doesn't have to be long and drawn out. It doesn't have, you just, to the spirit, it can be God. How many of you have been in situations where that's about all you could get out when something was going on? God, prompted by the Holy Ghost. That's a full Holy Ghost prayer. Exactly. Ah, all right. Pray with understanding or pray in the spirit. Now, as Pentecostals, we believe in praying in the spirit. I believe that this is uh, the activity of the Holy Spirit, praying within the believer's life, and you're giving voice to it. Now you're giving voice, allowing the ministry of God's own prayer language, prayer life, as the Spirit intercedes for us, you're giving voice to it. Now in the spirit realm, the enemy knows this is the word of the Lord being spoken. And so there are times, brothers and sisters, as Romans 8.28 says, when we don't know what to pray for, and we are weak, I would highly encourage you to begin praying in the Spirit more often for this nation, for our situation, our economy, our lives right now, because it's getting more and more complex for us to figure out we need to be a praying church, pray in the Spirit. Begin to let the Holy Spirit speak His perfect will into the earth through your voice and pray with understanding and pray in the Spirit. He goes on saying this, with all prayers and supplication. List for me different kind of prayers in Scripture. All prayers and supplication. What would be different kind of prayers? Intercession, I heard, yep. Thanksgiving, very good. Travail, yes. Repentance, very good. It's pretty good. Huh? Weeping, gnashing of teeth, that's kind of like travailing. What else? Shooting prayers. All right. Shouting the prayers out, speaking prayers out. Anybody else? Say? Silent prayer? You can think your prayers. All right. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak on that for a second because, of course, God, Spirit dwells in us. God knows our thoughts and He knows our heart. And silent prayer is very good. I, I pray silent prayers all the time. I'm communing with God. But I want to emphasize something when you're speaking in warfare against the enemy, it's very important to verbalize it. Because the enemy's not in you. And he's not reading your mind. You need to speak it out so that you can speak it towards the enemy. Okay? And I, I think that's important. So he says all kinds of prayers. So we need to be praying all kinds of prayers. That's like using all different kinds of bullets and weapons against an enemy. Okay? So we have to use all of these. Sometimes we have to repent so that we can break the enemy down. Sometimes we're in travail because we're praying even something beyond our own situation in life you are interceding for something you don't even know 
And, and I believe that the church is going to be moving into this more and more. God will be waking you up in the night. You have a burden and you're just crying. Just begin praying. You don't even know who you're praying for or what you're praying for. It could be something around the world. But as you begin praying, that's going out into the heavenlies and it's wreaking havoc against an enemy. You don't always have to see the results or know the results. Just be faithful. Amen? Let's conclude with this. To that end... Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So he says, be alert, that's discernment, persevere, don't give up, and make all supplication for the saints. Pray for each other. We need each other. All right? We're dealing with spirits who don't get tired. We do. So tag team praying is really good. I'm beat. You take over. All right? Because of the power of an authority of the church, we can do this. Now, I'll close with this. The weapons of our warfare are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds and demolishing them. This armor that I've just shared with you tonight, this warfare is powerful to destroy the enemy do not think he is winning he is not winning but it's so dark out there it's so the only ground he has is what god is allowing god knows what's going on the lord jesus is sitting on the throne of heaven he's in charge so don't think we're losing but get in the fight get in the fight. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise God.